0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Kelly Kosau. Kelly Kosau received her bachelor's degree from Brown University and her law degree from the University of Miami School of Law. She's a certified master integrative life coach and relationship expert who specializes in improving people's relationship with others as well as with themselves. From 1996 to 2006, Kelly was founder and president of her own company, Go Goddess, which created games, books, and seminars to empower, inspire, and entertain women and girls. A success that attained global exposure, Go Goddess was featured in Oprah, In Style, People Magazine, The New York Times, and The LA Times. Kelly is currently publishing her first book, which sounds true. It's called The Integrity Advantage. Step into your truth, love your life, and claim your magnificence. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Kelly and I spoke about her work with Debbie Ford and the shadow work process, and how Debbie Ford asked her to continue her work and carry her teaching mantle upon her death. We also talked about how all parts of us Even so-called negative traits can serve us. And Kelly's statement, God didn't create us with any spare parts. We talked about Kelly's definition of integrity, how it's possible to have quite a lot of integrity in one part of our life, and yet not to have integrity in another part. We also talked about the integrity process that she teaches, so that we can come into alignment with all of who we are, our greatest truth and vision. Here's my conversation with Kelly Casso. Kelly, to begin with, I'd love to know how the topic of integrity became such a central focus for you.
1: Well. I used to always think, and I've had my own like, journey with the word integrity, so I always thought it was you know, this strong moral code and being brought up by you know, a Catholic mother, and then I became a lawyer, and so to me it was all about morals. And then when I started, when I started teaching for Debbie Ford, and her work, shadow work, was all based in wholeness, and one day we were, I was leading a training and certifying our coaches, And one of the students said that he had, because we talked about integrity of the work, the integrity of the work and holding the work with integrity. And and he said, you know, I looked up this word integrity last night and I saw, you know, the first definition was a strong moral code and the second definition was wholeness. And that, it was like, you know, firecrackers went off and bells went off and I fell in love with a word at such a deeper level, and I got to understand it at such a deeper level because it makes so sense to be in integrity. We need to be whole. And the work that I was teaching at the time, and any work I will ever teach will always have that component of wholeness in it. And so as I was, and then, of course, you know, throughout the years, and I talk about this story in the book, Debbie used to always see me as the integrity holder. You know, Kelly, you're the one, you're the integrity holder, and I don't know if she was projecting on the fact that I was a lawyer or just so trustworthy or whatever, and so she kept talking, you know, you're the integrity holder of this organization. And then in my last phone call with Debbie, you know, we chit-chatted, and she was near, you know, she was not doing well at the time. And after we chit-chatted a bit, she said there was this pause and Debbie said, Kelly, you have to maintain the integrity of the work. It's up to you now. You've got to be the integrity holder. And at the time, you know, she was making phone calls to people saying, you know, just saying how much she loves them, saying for what she saw for them, all this other stuff. And a little and I was a little bit, you know, I knew at the point that point in time that she was leaving the institute to myself and my partner Julie Stroud, who was her personal assistant and also on staff with me. And I was a little bit kind of like, why didn't she tell me what to do or why didn't she give me more? And then after, of course, her death, I realized she told me exactly what I need to do and what I need to hold and what I need to bring out in the world. Mm -hmm. And so this word integrity, and then I saw that it was actually more than wholeness. And so my new definition of integrity, it's being in alignment with all of who you are, wholeness, but also living in your greatest truth and your grandest vision. Because if you don't have that second part, you're still not really being the true expression of who you are. And it's still going to feel bad to you on some level, and that will whittle away your self-esteem. So you always have to have that second component. And that really, and it's a lifestyle to me. And it's one that I adopt, one that I share, and one that just you spiral up in the energy of it.
0: Now, Kelly, I want to get into in just a few moments what this means, this idea of being in alignment with all of who you are and your greatest truth and vision. It's a beautiful definition. But for our listeners who may be hearing about Debbie Ford for the first time. You're talking about her death at a young age. She died of cancer at 57. And she developed a process, a shadow work process. And so you were describing that you were one of the lead teachers of this process. And I wonder if you can just orient our listeners a bit about Debbie Ford and her work with the shadow and how that plays in here, if you will, to this whole question of what it means to be in alignment with all of who you are and your greatest truth and vision.
1: Absolutely. So Debbie was a pioneer, a thought leader. She wrote nine um, best-selling books. And she, the shadow is the parts of ourselves that we don't see in ourselves, the parts of ourselves that we deny, the parts of ourselves that we deem inappropriate. And so because we don't want to be that, we shove those parts of ourselves, we try to hide that and we create our persona over that because at some point, probably at some point under the age of 10, something happened and you decided, I don't want to be that. I don't, you know, your mother yelled at you for being lazy, you know, you stood up in class and you stuttered and the other kids laughed and you decided it's not okay to be dumb or it's not okay to be seen. And so little by little, we whittle away at these parts of ourselves. And I always love to say, you know, God, the universe didn't give us any spare parts. You know, our stupid self can serve us, our selfish self can serve us, all these different parts of ourselves can serve us. And not only do we disown the quote-unquote negative, you know, I don't want to be greedy, I don't want to be spoiled, I don't want to be, we also disown our light. We also disown, you know, our brilliance. We don't see in ourselves that we are charismatic or talented or creative genius. And so it's this disowning of these traits And when we disown them, we don't have access to them. And so shadow work, and some people think, oh, my God, shadow work, ooh, that's got to be scary or spooky. But it's about finding, bringing the light of awareness to the parts of yourself that are hidden in your shadows. And we do this in our work because most of, you know, we're run by our unconscious. So we have to go back and find out what was the event and what were the meanings that you created at the time, which was under the age of 10. And, of course, under the age of 10, we don't have the wherewithal to say, wow, my dad left my mom because they were having problems. We are meaning-making machines. So we think, oh, I, you know, I was bad. We take it on ourselves. Or I'm unlovable. You know, I never heard from my dad again because I'm unlovable. And so we want to go back and see what created those meanings because our meanings, those meanings are what's driving our operating system. Our shadow beliefs become these self-fulfilling prophecies because what we resist persists. And so when we can bring the unconscious conscious, bring the light to what is in the shadow, then we can look at things in a different way. Or if we and or if we can start looking at characteristics, especially the negative ones, and go, well, how could that serve me? How could being selfish serve me? Well, maybe it, sets, it helps me set boundaries, or maybe it allows me to say no. The first word, because I was this very big perfectionist, overachiever, and so I remember when. Something happened, and actually it was my husband at the time. He was going through some business thing, and I was projecting on him, oh, my God, he's such a failure, and I couldn't be with the word failure because my whole personality had been built on achieving, always being on that treadmill, what's next, what's next, what's next. And finally, when I embraced the word failure, I was able, you know, that taught me to let go to finally stop pushing that boulder up the hill. So when we talk about shadow work, it is about wholeness. It is about owning all these parts of ourselves. And with our light, which is crucial to own your light, especially for people who want to deliver their gifts in the world and want to have their next evolutionary leap, they've got to own that part of them in themselves. And it's like, you know, if I'm going to write a book, I have to, and I want it to be sourced. I have to embrace my divinity. If I can't see it in myself, it can't come out. And so owning our light is so important. And a lot of times we either don't because we're beating ourselves up so much we don't see it. Or we grew up in an environment where someone said, don't be too big for your britches. Or something happened and we decided, oh, it's not safe to shine. If I'm at the head of the class, other people will not like me or be jealous of me or talk about me. So Debbie was really a pioneer. Well, a modern-day pioneer, because, of course, there were other people like Carl Jung who talked about the shadow. But she was just a modern-day pioneer who started this conversation about, You know, instead of, because she would say, you know, I tried all those affirmations, you know, I am loving, I accept myself, and then two seconds later, I'd be beating myself up. And she had to figure out what was it. And that's the birth of her shadow work.
0: Is there a way, Kelly, you could share with us the pith instructions, if you will, for someone who's interested in doing shadow work and is having the thought, well, I understand that there are things that are running my life, that are ideas and beliefs and stories that were formed when I was very young. But obviously, I don't know what they are because they're in my shadow. If I knew what they were, they wouldn't be in my shadow. I I don't know what they are. So how do I get to them? What did Debbie teach? Is there something specific that I could do right now to start uncovering this material?
1: Well, you can certainly start by, so a shadow, so there are shadow beliefs, those kind of statements, those I am statements, like I'm not good enough, I'm unlovable, and so those, if you start looking at, you can start going back and trying to remember, well, when did that event, what was the event or the environment that I brought was brought up in that created that belief, and then seeing what happened and bringing that belief conscious. And then you want to also, going one step further, going, okay, wow, let me see all the times, because our shadow beliefs are self-fulfilling prophecies. So if I believe I'm unlovable, I'm going to go out in the world, and no matter how hard I try to be lovable, I'm going to attract experiences that are going to make me feel unlovable, and so no matter what it is. So then you want to, after you can kind of track it, go, wow, this happened then, and now I can see how that played out here and played out here, and kind of you're putting together the puzzles of your life. Now what we then explain, and sometimes you need some help to do this because you can't do it from the part, well, you can maybe, but we want you to go from your your head to your heart. And that is why having a coach take you through or coming to a workshop, you're kind of in that environment because you've built up so much resistance to going back and looking at something that you've deemed painful or that you can't see. And then the great thing is we are manifestors. So if our unconscious disempowering beliefs are becoming self-fulfilling prophecies, then what could happen, what's possible, if you can take the unconscious belief, bring it conscious, and then shift it from from disempowering to empowering? So that's what someone can do with a shadow belief. With a shadow, you want to, like, let's take negative shadows. Those are characteristics, qualities. So you want to look at all the traits, and these are basically adjectives that you see in other people that either trigger you or that you don't like within yourself. So if you're pointing the finger, like I was pointing the finger at my ex-husband saying, wow, you're such a failure. And, any, and I was, it wasn't that I was just informed, like, oh, wow, you failed, that's too bad. It was like, failure, that's like, oh, so shameful. So it's the difference between being informed and affected. Or if I, you know, if someone said to me failure and I go, I'm not a failure, I'm affected by it. So I would write down a list of these words, and this is something that absolutely the listeners or people can do. Start writing down all these words that you don't want to be. And then try to see how could that actually serve me. You know, if, I'm, if I don't want to be dumb, how can, how is dumb serve me? Wow, well, it'll have me ask questions. It'll, you know, ask me, I'll I'll study so hard. You know, the fact that we don't want to be dumb or stupid. Maybe it'll, you know, have me take another courses. Or it'll help me be humble enough that I'll seek a teacher. And so when you can unconceal the characteristics that you don't want to be, start looking at, well, how could they serve me? First, you want to... So it's a three-step process, actually, unconcealing, making a list of those qualities. The second is owning, seeing where I am that so I can look back at my life because we want to get to the I am part and say, okay, I can see where I have been dumb. And then it's embracing, the third part, embracing, which is you have to find the gift of the characteristics. And if I can find the gift of the characteristic, then I will welcome it in and integrate it.
0: Kelly, could you give me an example from your own life to make shadow work real? How you went through this three-step process related to something that was running your life?
1: So let's take lazy. I could never be lazy. I was made wrong if I was lazy. Oh, you're so lazy. Don't be lazy got all those messages as a child. And as a result, I am always doing. I never could just, like, put down, you know, even you would see me, I would have, you know, a computer, an iPad. I was always trying to do the next thing. I never allowed myself to relax. I never allowed myself on a Saturday. I would be working every day of the week because I had made it wrong. To be lazy and so i was always doing something and after a while it got totally exhausted exhausting and it wasn't very fun because for me if i wasn't achieving i define myself by what i was doing not who i was being and i didn't do anything to feed my soul i did everything to add it to let's say my resume Because I could not be lazy. I could not take a day off. I could not just take a nap or watch, you know, mindless TV. And it impacts your relationships because you can't even just sit on the couch with somebody. You always have to have a computer in your hand. And it impacts your health because you're never taking down time. And so embracing lazy and allowing myself to do nothing, I actually now schedule nothing time in to my schedule because I want to protect that just like I would, you know, writing or time to write or something else like that. So I unconcealed that I could never be lazy. I can see how I am lazy. And then the gifts of lazy. That it allowed me to just sit on the couch and enjoy something with my daughters or to schedule time and do absolutely nothing. Because if I wasn't working, I was always exercising. <laughs> so it was, it was actually quite cool.
0: That's good. That's helpful having that actual example. Now, in talking about integrity, you gave this very beautiful definition that it's wholeness, and yet it's more than wholeness. It's being in alignment with all of who we are and our greatest truths and vision. And you begin your book, The Integrity Advantage, by telling in detail a pretty, I think, moving story from your own life of how you weren't in integrity in relationship to your marriage in your 20s, and I wonder if you can talk about that, because I think it's a story that many people will relate to, something where they, they knew that they were not in alignment, but they went forward anyway.
1: Yeah. So I, talk, and so I talk about the book, because my voyage into integrity really came from my pain of being out of integrity. Because when you're out of integrity, it does chip away at your self-esteem. And then you don't feel deserving and worthy enough to make higher-level choices. So at the time, I was 27 years old, and I met a man. And, you know, he can be a great man. It just I didn't love him in the way I should to have probably married him. And I knew I was making a mistake. I knew there were red flags. You know, we went to therapy before we even got married, and I talk about in the book how you know it was like we were going to therapy to save the marriage or for the result for the sake of the children. But we weren't married and we didn't have children. But it was so problematic. But at the time, it was like I was living from my to do list of life, which probably goes back to my lazy shadow. And you know, check off. I had gone to college, gone, became a lawyer. You know, working at a law firm, what was next on my to-do list in life? Marriage, children, white picket says dream. And so I was just moving along. And this man came into my life. He kind of swooped into my life. He was 15 years older. He had this great joy de vivre. You know, it seemed fun. It was fun. But I knew there were lots of red flags. And I talk about on the day of my wedding because we lived in Miami. Um, I was at his house, and my friend had flown in, and I had a towel over my head because I didn't want to get be sunburned for my the pictures. And that analogy of having a you know a towel over my eyes that was true that was true about the whole relationship. You know, there were so many things that I. Had a towel over my eyes about because those warning signs were there. Yet I just kept going because either, because I didn't have the courage to live in my truth. And so I stepped over my truth. And that's a terrible feeling. And, you know, it's happened time and time again, whether it's in a job, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's saying yes. When you want to say no, whether it's letting, you know, okay, I'll do whatever you want. And then you don't want to do things we do all the time. And then we become the victim of our choices. And then, you know, we become angry at someone else. So it's a real downward spiral.
0: Yeah, I want to go right into this, Kelly, because what I'm imagining is someone right now, who could tune into a part of their life where they have a towel over their eyes. Maybe it's something like, you know, I know I should really be quitting my job, but I'm not. Or I know I really should be writing a book, but I'm not. Or I know I shouldn't be eating XYZ food, but I keep eating it regularly, even though I know I shouldn't be. I think there's probably a lot of examples of that towel over our eyes feeling. There's something we can barely see, but we can kind of see it, but we don't want to see it. So if somebody recognizes something like that in their life, help them walk through the process you teach in the book and how they can get to the bottom of what's really going on.
1: Well, they, you know, first they have to. And, you know, the, first, the, the beginning of the book talks about, you know, all the different things, to, And really, it makes it comfortable for someone to say, You know what? Me too. Because I teach, you know, come in contact with thousands of people each year. And that being out of integrity or stepping over our truth or doing something that we know is not in our highest, and every Monday we swear to ourselves, you know, it's going to change. It's going to change. So to really get just the humanity of that and have compassion and not trying to beat themselves up, and for me, so the part first part of the book really makes it safe for people to say, you know what, me too. And then the second part of the book, the process, there is a process. And, you know, first it's about, you know, I call it getting naked, and that's really radical honesty. Like we have to, you know, in order to get where we are, we have to be able to, you know, acknowledge where we're starting from. And in, so in the getting naked chapter, you know, talk about just acknowledging, and then all the ways that, in some ways, we don't—we build these personas or things that keeps us away from accepting it. You know, so even for me, it was you know that Disney dream over that fairy tale. You know, I wanted to live in the fairy tale of one day my prince will come and we will live heavily ever, happily ever after. So. The first is just about really getting naked is about just radical honesty with yourself. And, you know, I'm always giving people tips on how to get there. The second part is so many of us have our, we live on some form of excuse. You know, we rationalize, we justify, we have our excuses, and we've gotten into so many excuses. I can remember after I got divorced. Um, And, you know, I kept saying I wanted to get married again. I wanted to be, but it wasn't happening. So if there's something as humans because we are manifestors that we desire or say we want and it's not happening, then we've got to look at, well, what is going on? And, of course, it's something going on in your unconscious that is keeping you from what you desire because your unconscious beliefs are what you're attracting. So I had to go look not only at my unconscious beliefs, but it's what I call I had to bust my own BS. Because if you looked at my actions and my choices, they weren't leading me to meeting people. I would work, you know, a a few nights a week. You know, I was a great single mother. I would use my children as an excuse and as a reason, oh, I can't go out. I would do that. I would pick men that I knew would not end up being in long-term relationship with because the writing was on the wall. And so, but no one, especially because I was out there teaching and helping people and being a good single mom, no one would have ever said, Kelly, come on, who are you kidding? And so it's that level of looking, of busting my own BS, that there was something else going on. And I had to look at my excuses, my justifications, my rationalizations to further, because it's all about unconcealing at first. And then the next ch- part of it, we call it shift happens, where a lot of people I don't think make the um, distinction, is there's a long road between acknowledgement and acceptance. So I can say you know, yeah, maybe he's not the right person for me. But to truly accept it takes is a process. It's like how many women know or men know, you know, maybe this marriage is over. But they're not willing to get there. So that but that's where shift happens when you can start when you get to that point of acceptance. And so we talk about, you know, different ways to get to the point of acceptance. And then my next is, the next chapter is really, it's called, I call it the blessing of your binges, and it's going into your emotional world. Because there are things, if we are self-sabotaging, Or if we are in fear of something, there's something else going on underneath it. So for me, I was an emotional leader. And every time something was off, I would go right to the refrigerator. And so there are a lot of people out there self-sabotaging. And instead of beating ourselves up for our self-sabotage or the strategies we use not to feel, it's about looking deeper and finding, using those as clues to say, wow, if I'm stuffing food in my mouth and I'm truly not happy or if I'm shopping and, or whatever it is, you know, drinking, whatever your, your self-sabotage is, to look at your forms of self-sabotage not as something to have to beat yourself up as, but as warning signs that there's something off, there's something, emotion, that you're not wanting to feel and using those as times to wake yourself up. And then I get into really, okay, going underneath that, what is it that you need to feel to have a great life? Really, I call it, what is your soul starving for? And that's about, you know, what is it, because the binges, the self-sabotage is a warning sign that there's something off so now you want to go deeper. What's truly your soul's desire? What's your truth? What's your vision? And then it's about kind of the embracing your humanity, which is just this forgiveness piece, and having compassion for yourself, and really kind of, because forgiveness is the hallway from the past to the present so you can create the future you desire so you want to go back and just embrace your humanity instead of build, beating yourself up for everything you've done in the past because you can only manifest as much as you can forgive yourself because you'll only feel worthy enough of having that so there has to be that hallway and then the next part of this process is the shadow part, the power of I am, owning that we are everything and embracing the totality of who you are. And then, of course, I go into helping people create the grandest vision for themselves because now that they've kind of cleaned out the past, they've stepped into what is, you know, they will need to step, they've owned all of who they are, now they need to step into what is their greatest truth and what is their highest vision. So we have them in, in different ways create that plan and have a process for that. And then that's about getting into integrity. But the part, one of the parts of my book that I truly love is what I call the integrity protection plan because it's really that part of That part of self-care and self-honoring, you know, if we're truly vibrational beings, what are we going to, you know, we need to protect our vibration like we would, you know, a newborn baby. And so I'm very into your integrity protection plan, really getting to know what makes your vibration go up and what diminishes it, who makes it go up, what diminishes it, and really honoring that, taking on kind of, this level of self-love and honoring the wholeness and the fullness of who you are and how to do that. So then that's the integrity protection plan, and then really it gets into the integrity promise, what's possible. You know, when you can stand in the fullness of who you are, you can hold that for others. When you can stand in your greatness, I can hold your greatness. I can hold your vision. And, you just, and then on the other hand, you know, I say integrity is exponential. When you keep the, are clean about who you are and you're in integrity with yourself, you're going to make high-level choices because anything else won't feel good. And then your integrity will expand and you'll make higher-level choices and your feelings of self-worth will go up. And, and it's just so exponential that it's so exciting to me. It can also be the other way, which can be painful. But when you get it, it just, it's like, it's, it is. It's just a lifestyle that is so expansive. And it honors yourself, and then you can honor whoever you come into the path with.
0: Now, you mentioned that you like the integrity protection plan, that this is important to you. What is your protection plan? How do you do that? How do you protect your integrity?
1: Well, I am very aware of what works for me and what doesn't. I am very aware of, you know, kind of homeland security starts within. So I'm very aware of the people I let around me. And some people, you know, I like to say some people belong on the other side of the street. Some people belong in your living room. Some people belong in your bedroom. You know, and some people can come hang out in your closet. And so always knowing that. I'm very much saying, I say to myself all the time, you know, who do I want to be in this situation? Or I say, what is in my highest in the moment? There are some days that I allow that question to kind of um, design my whole day. Every minute I'm saying, what is in your highest? What would be the most self-loving thing you can do in this moment? And that's when I can have my lazy days, going back to my lazy shadow. On my Saturdays, I'll sometimes let that question guide me because I could never understand this concept of self-love. It's like all these people are talking about it, and am I the only one who can't figure out how to get there? And then I got there. I, I realize it's by truly taking on that level of honoring. And, of course, integrity is an inside job. You know, and talk, I talk about this in the first part of the book, how we're all so outer-referred. But anytime we're trying to keep up, you know, it's coming from a shadow. It's coming from a place of lack. And so we all need to take this U-turn back to ourselves and start learning to ask ourselves, start developing that muscle of self-trust where we're looking inside for our answers instead of to the outer world for them. And so I talk about the fact that we have this I am monitor, the integrity alignment monitor. And it always is this beacon. If we can tune into it, you know, it's the greatest GPS in the world.
0: I'm curious, Kelly, when you talk about it as an integrity, integrity alignment monitor, does it feel like something to you on the inside when you're in integrity? And does it feel like something when you're out of integrity? Is there a different inner quality? How would you describe that?
1: Absolutely. When I'm out of integrity, there's that gnawing feeling. It's just like I knew that day that I was getting married with the towel over my eyes. I knew it. On some level, we know it. Even if we try to tell ourselves it's going to work out fine. But I, for me, I do have kind of that gnawing feeling, you know, deep in my stomach. And I'll say, what is it? Or if there's some self-sabotage, like all of a sudden, you know, I want to go have pizza or something, which I maybe wouldn't normally eat, then it's like, hey, what is that? What is that? What am I trying to run away from? And so it's a very, you know, so it is a very calibrating thing to know, okay, these are my mile markers when something is off, and all I need to go inside and say to myself, what is it? What's going on, Kelly? And I can figure out what I need to do to take responsibility. And that's the great thing, because it is living this next level of responsibility, and great knowing that you have the power inside of you.
0: There's a, a great quote from the book that I thought was very instructive. You write, don't ask, am I out of integrity, but where and how am I out yes. of integrity? And what I, what I really liked about that is, there may be parts of our lives, and you, you write about this in The Integrity Advantage, where we're, we're really well aligned Maybe our work life is very well aligned, but then there may be other parts of our life where we're not in integrity, maybe in relationship to our diet, as you know, what we eat, what we're describing. So I think that's very interesting. How and where am I out of integrity? Could you talk a little bit about how somebody might be in integrity in one part of their life, but not in another?
1: Well, absolutely. And I think you, you know, we can, in our I had someone come and they were said, you know, I, I'm, I don't um, misspend anywhere else except in self help programs. <laughs> I love my self help programs, so <laughs> of course they're in one of my workshops. <laughs> and they went on and on. Nowhere else do I overspend. Just in this area of self help, and you know, my my husband understands. It's not like I take his checks. And blow it on, you know, clothing or this and that. And then you have to look at them, but it's only one area of your life that can ruin your life. And so you can't just, this goes back to kind of busting yourself of your own BS. You really want to say, well, how am I out of integrity? Because there's always that next evolutionary edge, you know, that evolutionary leap. If we're not looking for that, then there's no room for growth, If we come to this point, oh, you know, there's no room to grow. So absolutely, you can say, well, look at my life. I have, you know, I have a great marriage. I have a great job. And then, you know, in terms of your health and well-being, you're not taking care of yourself. How many friends do I have like that, especially male friends? They're very comfortable in the fact that they're great providers. They're a great husband. They're a great father. But they are pushing themselves. They don't have time to go to the doctor. They're overweight, you know, maybe. And this is women, too, because so many women are out there doing everything, you know. But they won't schedule a doctor appointment. Or they're eating fast food on the run. You know, I have women that, you know, they didn't have time to, they wanted to have a baby all the and And they didn't make time for it. And then they wake up at 45 and say, oh, wow, now what do I want to do about it? And so we can get blinded by our own BS, even if it's like, okay, let me just look over here where it's comfortable.
0: hmm Now, I want to talk more about this idea of busting our own BS. It's a great phrase that I think everyone can relate to. And what I notice is, I can see into a part of my life, we're not going to go into it, Kelly, but I'm just pointing out here, I can see into a part of my life, oh, that's my BS. And I'm not going to bust it. I'm not I can tell. And I've got some good excuses. And they kind of work. And they sort of still work. And I don't really have the will to make that kind of change in my life right now. I'm a little out of integrity, but so be it. I'm moving on. How would you address that listener?
1: you're being making a conscious choice like i know that's off i know there's something here i can do but i just can't do it right now and then i would so a being really honest with yourself or you know maybe that's not as important to you if you can accept yourself the way it is then great you know what might it might not be on your top List. And it might be, you know, a projection of society or a projection of your family or something like that. So as long as you're being honest with yourself, and if it's something that feels like it needs to be handled, make a plan for it to be handled. Like even last week, uh, and I'm dealing with something with my children, and I said to them, look, I need, because I was leading a workshop, I need the week before the workshop, and I need the week after the workshop because I know I'm just, like, you know, generally very tired and I'm not all there. I will tend to it that next Monday, and I will, you know, it was something I had to write, and I will have it written by Tuesday. And so I gave myself a timeline that felt honoring and also honored them. And sometimes you have to make a list of, you know, okay, this is what I'm going to do. But at least if you can accept it, schedule it in. Or be honest with yourself, I'm just not going to deal with it. And I'm okay that, you know, I'm going to have a mediocre result in that part of my life. That's okay as long as you're conscious about it and you can accept it.
0: Now, in reading The Integrity Advantage, As the book progressed, it felt to me that one of the subterranean, if you will, root causes of a lot of ways that people are out of integrity come down to this sense that there's some kind of scared child in our life that is making the decisions. And I think you point to this in the book. I mean, you know, the other theme that seemed to run through the integrity advantage is how so often in relationships people don't have the courage to say the things they need to say because they're afraid. They're afraid. If I really were to confront my partner and say, I want our sex life to be different or I want this to be different or whatever, Or if we were to confront someone in a work relationship and say, you know, I really want to talk about what's happening here. We're too terrified to do this. There's this scared part of us. You could call it the scared child. And I wonder if you could talk some about that. And how do we work with that fear of taking this next step? We're too afraid.
1: Well, you have to bring compassion to that little child, because any time we are in the wound. You know, or experiencing that wound, where it's often our little child that is running our lives. Anytime I'm living or, you know, feeling the angst of a, a negative belief or a shadow belief, it is that little child that's saying it's unsafe to love, it's unsafe to be seen. I revert back to the time that the wounding happened. And so even though I'm in a 50 year old body, It's that little child saying, wow, if you speak your truth, they're not going to like you. And I think the other thing, so yes, there's that fair child who needs compassion. We now have to become the mother or the father of that little child saying, I'm not going to leave you. You know, back then, whatever happened, happened. But I'm going to love you, I'm going to lead you, and, and you can come out now. And it is. It's learning to parent that child in within in another way, because before we become, you know, we become, we take on a kind of, we become our own tyrant almost. We become the abusive parent to ourselves. And so now it's time to go back and say, you know what? I'm going to check in with you. What do you need, and how can I hold your hand through this fear? Because most of us have lived through the fear. And the other part that keeps people from going inside and really doing anything is now they might be confronted. Like I always say to people, okay, you can, when you speak your truth, it's not about being attached to somebody's answer. It's not that they're necessarily, if I have a partner and I request that They put their dishes in the dishwasher. And granted, this isn't maybe the best example, and they don't do it. Then I can see if I request any of my wants or needs and they don't honor what I'm saying, now I have a choice. Do I want to be with a partner who, even if I can communicate my wants and needs, doesn't listen or doesn't honor them or doesn't respond in any way? And then I have a choice. And sometimes those choices can be scary to make. But generally, by the time they get to me or this book, staying small and compromising ourselves is so painful that we know something needs to be done. And that's when, you know, you speak a different way.
0: Now, let's say someone's just conflict avoidant. They've identified, I'm conflict avoidant. Right. I'm listening right now, and I know there are some things I need to say to this person in my life. But again, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. It's, uh, I'm just terrified to be direct like that. Kelly, can you help me?
1: Right. I would say I would have them look at what they make conflict mean. So for some people, even speaking their truth equals conflict. It's like a direct math equation. And that's why they don't speak in their truth. And if you go back... This is going back to that meaning-making machine and the shadow beliefs that are running their lives. And there's not a question that if you go back, they're going to, say, they're going to find that speaking up in their homes you know, equaled chaos or equaled them getting in trouble or equaled you know, someone yelling at them or someone hitting them. So you go back, and you'll ha- I would go back with them. I would say, where did that belief come from? They can see that belief, where it was born. They can see how it was running their life. Do you know how many clients I have? And I write a story about this, about this man who never spoke up, never spoke up, because in his house, you know, grown male, you know, big boys don't cry, and if you spoke up, you would get hit. And literally, he started seeing this image of himself behind the couch, this little boy, you know, quivering behind the couch. He's in a marriage. Of course, he has a very strong woman who is challenging him. And one night she says to him, you know what? I don't think I can do this anymore. And he doesn't speak up. Now, of course, she has a wound of being unseen. The next morning she explodes. I talk about separating and you don't say a word. How is that love? And so he had to start looking at where the belief came from, what his belief was, and the cost. And then he had to start taking action steps. Okay, I'm going to speak up here. A lot of people, they'll come and they'll speak their truth to me, and that's the first step. And they go, wow, I feel better. Now maybe I'll speak it here or speak it there. And then it's taking action steps to help, solidify the new belief, you know, it's safe to be seen. And so it goes back to finding out that belief and then seeing what the cost has been and then creating a new belief.
0: Now, Kelly, you call the book The Integrity Advantage. What's the advantage, if you will? Why that title? The
1: advantage is that you really start loving your life and yourself. You feel like such a clean, clear vessel, and you feel worthy enough to just keep spiraling up. And so there's such an advantage because I do see this as a lifestyle, and this is the way I live and other people live. And just you feel worthy enough and clean enough to keep going for that next thing. And you just become this beacon and you spiral up because it just feels so good and you're not judging other people.
0: Well, here's an interesting question for you. When you talk about integrity being a lifestyle, you can kind of tell from the outside, if you will, that somebody is living the yoga lifestyle. You know, you look at them and they talk about yoga. Can you tell if someone's living an integrity lifestyle from the outside?
1: From just looking at them?
0: Or talking to them or seeing their life. I mean, how can you tell?
1: I think because they're just very clear. And they're very, I mean, people can tell that I do. Because it's just, it's everything they say is in alignment to the way they live. And they can hold it for you. There is this collective consciousness. There is, okay, I can hold for other people what's in their highest because that's the way I hold myself. And so most people, yes, when they meet me, they're like, who are you? Why do you walk through life with the kind of this confidence? And I think that shows when you are owning all of who you are and living in your deepest truth and living in your grandest visions and always knowing that that's spiraling up. Who I am today is not, necessar- you know, who I, it, it, not necessarily who I'm going to become tomorrow. And I live in this place of possibilities. And so I'm excited about life.
0: Okay, Kelly, just one final question for you. Our program's called Insights at the Edge. And one of the things I'm always curious about is, is there some current edge you're working on? So even here with the integrity lifestyle, is there an edge, if you will, in your own life as you spiral into greater and greater and greater exponential integrity?
1: I, right now, in this last um, shadow process, I was very much looking at what I'm manifesting in my life or the, even the relationships. Is it coming, am I calling forth relationships to reflect my wounded self or am I calling forth relationships that reflect the new, my level of self-love? And so I'm always living in this paradigm that the universe is always giving us feedback. It's the most benevolent partner and mirror and teacher that we have. And I'm always looking at what is being reflected back to me. And if it's chaos, if I'm, you know, hit my car and my telephone fell into the toilet, then I know, okay, chaos in, chaos out. If it's like, Miracles and just, you know, chance people are calling me, and just you get this email in your email box and go, wow. Then I know that it's coming from some other place. So I'm always living in this paradigm that the outer world is a reflection of my internal world. And I'm always fascinated by what is my outer world reflecting back. So that brings me back to that integrity alignment monitor. And so it's so exciting, this kind of circle we're in. And we're always getting feedback on how we're doing when we look at the universe as our mirror and then lining it back up to this integrity alignment monitor.
0: (laughs) And right now what the universe is reflecting back is that you are launching the publication of a new book, The Integrity Advantage. Step into your truth, love your life, and claim your magnificence. I just want to congratulate you on that and say what a beautiful th- reflection to be having, the fruition of your work to have this book be published now.
1: It, it, it is, and it's a great gift and it's a great honor to go back to where we started, my teacher Debbie Ford. And I know she's up there cheering me on.
0: I've been speaking with Kelly Kassau, and she's the author of the new book, The Integrity Advantage. Step into your truth, love your life, and claim your magnificence. Again, thank you, Kelly. Thank you for writing this book, The Integrity Advantage, and for your own commitment to a lifestyle of integrity. Thank you. SoundsTrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thank you for listening.